You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question, actually three questions. Uh, and actually, I, I think I already know the answer to the questions, but I'm going to ask them anyway. And, and here's the first question. How many of you would say that uh, sometime in the past, or maybe now, you uh, have faced or you are facing a very painful, challenging situation? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's what I thought, probably 100%. Second question. How many of you at some time in your past, or maybe now, uh, have had to deal with or are dealing with a painfully challenging, difficult person? Raise your hand. Uh, that's what I thought. 100%. Hands down, 100% throughout the room. Uh, let me ask this. How many would confess that you believe that oftentimes those um, painfully challenging situations are actually caused because of those painfully challenging people that you've had to deal with? Raise your hand. Yeah, all across the room again, 100%. Uh, that, that's what I thought. Um, there are times when we have to deal with painfully challenging situations and we find ourselves dealing with these painfully challenging people. Uh, and not only does life seem painful, uh, but life seems unfair. Um, and in the midst of these situations, it can seem like everything and everybody is against us and that there is no solution to the crisis that we find ourselves in. Am I right? Can, yes, oftentimes that happens. Um, Here's, here's uh, what I want to say this morning, one of the many things I want to say. Um, both now and in the future, um, my hope, my prayer, my intent would be that we can, uh, we can look back and we can draw from what we've been learning through the story of Esther. Every week we've had great spiritual application through the story so that we could then look back and that we could pull from it and that we could draw from it. And uh, primarily, I think one of the things that I want to say today, and I think what we were, we're going to walk away with is, uh, what, what is it we learn from Esther? And we learn from Esther that Esther understood the value of waiting. While Esther was waiting... God was working. And we have to come to a point uh, in our situations, in our challenges, that we would also believe that while we are waiting, that God is working during our hardships, during our challenges, while we're dealing with these difficult people. Oftentimes, maybe not every time, but oftentimes God calls on us to wait. And we must trust in God's providence, we must trust that while we are waiting, regardless of what the situation is, regardless of how difficult the person may be, regardless of how big the crisis is, while we are waiting, God is working. And so this morning, uh, you can tell I want to talk about how uh, Esther waited. But before I do, I want to ask one more question. And the question is this, how well do you wait? What's that response all about? <laughs> How well do you wait? Generally, over the years, as I've surveyed uh, many people with that same question, the response is typically the same, that as a people, we don't typically, maybe there are some, but typically, we don't wait well. 
we don't like to wait. Um, it, it, when I think about my own life, it's, it's kind of ironic. I am a very patient person. When it comes to people, I ask my wife, I am very, very patient. But there are certain situations that can rise that are not associated with people, but when I'm waiting on an answer, when I'm waiting on a response, when I'm waiting for someone to get back to me about something that I want, I don't like the unknown. That's the problem. And so when I have to wait on the unknown... I confess to you, I hate to wait in those situations. It kills me. I do not wait well. Is there anybody else that's with me? Just as I thought, just about 100% in the room. Um, So we're going to look to Esther today. And as we look to Esther, we're going to recognize, hopefully in a new and fresh way, the value of waiting. And hopefully, as we uh, learn the value of waiting, it'll be something that we can say, well, I'm better at it than, than I used to be. And so let's move on into the story of, of, of Esther, continue on. Um, and in doing so, we have to look back just a little bit last week. When we ended last week, we ended at chapter 4, and what we found is that uh, Esther said to, uh, to Mordecai, by way of messenger, um, I will go before the king. I'll go, and if I perish, I perish. So then we find the last thing that happens is that Mordecai sets out, and he is uh, on a mission uh, per Esther's request to find a group of people that will join her in her three-day prayer vigil that she and uh, those who are with her are going to be involved in. So so Mordecai sets out, and... um, when we think about, and then we put a dash there. We, we said, stop, we're going to come back to the story uh, next week. And so here we are. But let me ask you, she said, if I perish, I perish. Why was, why was that her thought? You know, why would she say, well, if I, I will go before him, but if, if I perish, I perish. And we talked about it a little bit last week, but I, I want us to see just how big of a risk it was. And uh, I think there are five things that we have to consider uh, of why she would say, if I perish, I perish. It was such a big risk. And the first is that for her to go before the king and summon meant that she was going to have to break the law. The law said that you did not go before the king unless he summoned you. And if you went before the king unsummoned, then uh, you were breaking the law, and the penalty for breaking that law was death. So that very obviously, I may very well die. I'm supposed to die if I go before the king without being summoned. The second reason it was such a risk for her is that for her to go before the king meant that she was going to have to confess that she had been deceiving the king all this time about her nationality. I was talking to someone about that this week, and they said, well, was she really deceiving him? She hadn't told him. Right, She had withheld this information from him for some reason. Uh, Mordecai said, don't tell. And so for her to go before the king, it was risky because she was now going to have to uh, confess, uh, I'm of Jewish descent. Uh, the third reason that it was risky is that she was going to have to persuade the king to reverse an irreversible edict. Um, the law said that when a king... 
uh, issued an edict and he sealed it with his signet ring. It was law. It was in stone. It was in place. And it could not be uh, reversed. It could not be uh, repealed. And so she was going to have to convince him to persuade him that he's going to have to come up with a counter scheme so that he's not actually breaking the law, but it overrides uh, the, the edict. And it was going to come at great financial cost for him, too. He, 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 was, he was subject to lose a lot of money because, remember, Haman, uh, not only the second most powerful man in all the provinces, but a man who was very wealthy, had promised the king, if you'll go along with my plan to annihilate the Jews, I will beef up your treasury. I, I will do it. So he, he was, it was going to become great financial loss. The fourth reason that it was such, such a risk is that she was going to have to oppose the second most powerful man in all the provinces. She was going to have to oppose vile Haman. And the final reason that it was such a risk is that uh, it was going to be necessary for her to lead the king down a pathway that could very well cause all of the subjects in all of the provinces to lose respect for him. There was a great deal uh, at risk. But in the midst of all of these realities, Esther was courageous. And Esther waited. How do we know she waited? Well, uh, we ended chapter 4. And uh, she's starting on a three-day prayer vigil. And when we, in a moment, we'll look. When we start chapter 5, verse 1, we recognize that it's at the end of the three days. When we find her in chapter 5, she's getting ready to go before the king. In other words, um, there is a very purposeful space between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. And it's important for us to understand that it's not a space that God created. God did not distance himself from Esther. Esther is the one who created the space. And in creating the space, she wasn't distancing herself from God. She was actually drawing near to God through prayer and fasting because she understood that that was going to be the only way that she could find favor in going before the king. Esther waited and Esther waited well. Why? How? Why did she wait well? I believe that Esther waited well because she understood uh, the value in waiting. Esther understood uh, the, the God's perspective. She understood uh, God's, what God places value in waiting, what he wanted to do, the providence of God being able to work out. And I also believe that if you and I, listen to this, if we can embrace, if we can better embrace God's perspective, God's value on waiting, then in doing so, we allow God room to work out his plan and we find that we can navigate through these challenging situations with greater discernment, with greater wisdom. We can navigate through these challenging situations with challenging people much better if we can fully embrace the value of waiting. So what is the value of waiting? We see that Esther waited, but what's the value of waiting? Um, And the prophet Isaiah actually gives us a great sense of clarity on the value of waiting. I want to read to you uh, a passage from Isaiah uh, chapter 40. Uh, I'm going to read beginning in verse 28. This isn't in your notes, so you may want to take some notes with this. Um, And it says beginning in verse 28, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope or wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And from that, we find the clarity in the value of waiting. So what is it that Isaiah is telling us? Well, the first thing he tells us is that when we wait, we gain new strength. When we will put in that purposeful space, when we, instead of in the midst of our crisis situation, or whatever the situation is, if instead of trying to push in and frantically work something out that God may or not be involved in, when we will wait, he says, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And so in other words, in that time, we have the opportunity to exchange our weakness for his strength. Here's the second thing that Isaiah tells us. Uh, If we will wait on the Lord or when we wait on the Lord, we gain better perspective. He says, they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up uh, with wings like eagles. Have you ever heard the term eagle eyes? It's not a joke. If you know anything about eagle eyesight, uh, the eagle has the ability to see from almost two miles away. So an eagle can be flying some almost two miles away from a lake, can see uh, fish in the lake, and then can swoop down and take fish for food all because of their eyesight. Uh, When you and I allow this purposeful space, when we are willing to wait on the Lord, what happens is we begin to fly, we begin to live life in that space at at a higher altitude. In other words, we get to pull back, and in that space, God begins to give us new, renewed perspective. And so things that, uh, we, when we look at things like this up close and personal, we, we can't see much. But when we pull back, the, the view becomes different. And so as we wait on the Lord, uh, we mount up with wings like eagles. We gain God's perspective on the situation that we're, we're in. And we might say, you know what, this situation actually isn't as bad as I thought it was. That person's not as bad as I thought they were. God might show, you know, God might in that pulling back show us something about ourselves. And we have to say, you know, I've really been contributing to this problem. But it all comes because we wait. The third thing that Isaiah tells us is that when we wait, we store up extra energy. They who wait on the Lord shall uh, renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall uh, run and not grow tired. Um, there's, there's a, when we pull back and we wait, we allow our reservoir of strength to be replenished. If we're always working and we're always trying to work it out without letting God, without building margin where God can speak into it, we're continually pulling from a dry reservoir. But when we pull back and we wait on the Lord, then what happens is He, he begins to put new strength, new energy, new insight for us. And so when we face those future situations, those future challenges, we have something to draw from. And then we have to make sure we have a cycle. It's not just a one-time waiting, but that we are consistently in a rhythm of life that we are having times of waiting before the Lord so that that uh, reservoir can continually be refilled. And then finally, um, 
when we wait on the Lord, according to Isaiah, we deepen our determination to persevere. He says, you shall walk and not be weary. Um, When we pull back and we wait in our weariness, oftentimes, let me ask this, in your crisis situations or dealing with difficult people, do you ever just want to give up? Raise your hand if you want to give up. Uh, Again, 100%. and sometimes we feel, I don't have anything else to give. I don't, have any, I don't have any more wisdom. But when we pull back and we wait, while God's doing all of these things in that purposeful space, in that margin, He's also saying, you can do this. I'm with you. You don't have to do this alone. Or I place people around you who will walk beside you, who will hold you up, who will, who will give you insight. He's saying, you got it. You, you can do this. You don't have to give up. You don't have to throw in the towel. You can carry on. You can push through to the end. You have got this. And that happens when we wait. And then I love in chapter 41, verse 10, it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then down in 13 it says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. There's great value in wording, in, in waiting. There's a, there's a God perspective in waiting. And so if we can embrace this, If we can gain God's perspective, then we're going to find ourselves walking through these situations, dealing with these people much easier. And we see that as we continue on with Esther. So back to the story of Esther. Um, I'm going to read to you, uh, beginning in uh, chapter 5, I'm going to read to you about seven verses, I think, and uh, and then I'm going to summarize some. Um, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on the royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in her hand, in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. She said, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may go do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to to the banquet Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, this is the second time, now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request... Let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Um, So here's what we find. Uh, Queen Esther goes before the king and immediately she finds favor. He extends the golden scepter. She reaches out. She touches it. And immediately he says, Esther, my dear, my wife, what is it I can do for you? And she says, "Uh, well, uh, come to a banquet. Come to a banquet that I, I, I prepared. And so uh, they go to the banquet. And uh, then what we find in the remaining part of the chapter that we didn't read is after the banquet, uh, 
Haman leaves the banquet and his chest and his head is held high. I was the only one today at a banquet given by the king and the queen. I am so special. And guess what? They have invited me back tomorrow for another private audience with the king and queen. And he was strutting and he was walking and then he encountered Mordecai. And guess what Mordecai did not do? He did not bow down to him. And suddenly, in his elation, he was angry. He was so mad. He went home to his wife and his friends, and he complained, and he grumbled, and his wife said, I got a great idea. Why don't you just off this guy? Why don't you just put him to an end? Just hang him, and he won't do this anymore. Haman says, what a great idea. And then he ordered, hey, Uh, Build a 75-foot high scaffold out in front of the house, and tomorrow Mordecai will die. He's going to be impaled on this scaffold for everyone to see. He's going to be out of my hair. I'm not going to have to worry about him not bowing down to me anymore. That is a great solution. And then we come to chapter 6, and I'm just going to summarize it, but we see all throughout chapter 6 the providence of God at work. It's very important what happens in chapter 6. The king has insomnia. He can't sleep. And God's involved in it. While he can't sleep, maybe he has a cup of warm milk or whatever the king might have. And he says, hey, bring me the royal record books. I just want to see what's been going on. And as he's reading, he's reminded, he comes across the story where Mordecai, remember Mordecai overheard the assassins at the gate. And he remembers that Mordecai, because he reported it, saved his life. And he asked the question, what have we done to honor this guy Mordecai? And they said, well, we haven't done anything. We haven't done He said, who's in the court? Who can help me come up with a decision? Haman just walked in. And so Haman comes in and he says, uh, uh, Haman, what would the king do to a man that he wanted to greatly honor? And I can see Haman now. <clears throat> Well, thinking it's him, if I were the king, I would bring out a great robe that had been worn by the king, and I would place it on this man. And I would bring out a horse that the king had ridden before, and I would place the royal crest on that horse, and I would place that man that you want to honor on that horse, and I would have someone lead him through the streets of the city so everyone can give him honor that is due And the king says, that is a great idea. Hmm, that's exactly what we'll do for Mordecai. (laughs) And Haman, guess what? You're going to be the one to lead him through. You're going to be the one. Can you imagine this man who has caused Haman so much grief and so much anger? Now he has to take him while he's got on a royal robe on the king's horse with a crest on his head and lead him through the streets while everybody's going, Mordecai. They're just yelling and screaming, giving him honor. He finishes up his task and he's embarrassed and he's grief he's so distressed over it and he goes home to his wife and complains and but he remembers tomorrow Haman uh, Mordecai's gonna gonna die so he's off to the next event the next day I got another banquet to go to I, I, I have another banquet and here's what happens in chapter seven 
So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? This is the third time he's asked. It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, uh, If I have found favor with you, king, if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, the adversary and enemy is the vile Haman. You hear the organ music now? Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows, 75 feet high, stands by Haman's house. He made it for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. And I thought yesterday I was reading this, Ding dong, the witch is dead. I mean, that's bottom line. Ding dong, the witch is dead. You see, the, you see God's providence at work? All because, in, in one case, that a man could not sleep, and God uses that to, to bring about his purpose and his plan. Um, throughout the story of Esther, we see the providence of God at work. God was not absent, but God was continually working. He was never silent. He was present and he was active, working out his plan on behalf of his people. Um, this is a, we have one more week in the series, but I'm going to go ahead and take you to the end of the story. Um, just very briefly, when we look in chapter 8, uh, what we find... So uh, Haman's dead, and now the king is faced with this... Um, He's got to somehow overcome the edict. And so he commissions Mordecai. Mordecai come up with a plan. And Mordecai comes up with a plan that while it doesn't cancel out this edict, it allows the Jewish people to stand up and fight for themselves. And they do. And so then we come to chapter 9, and we find that the Jewish people who are to be annihilated because of the plot, the plan of Haman, uh, now are living victoriously. They have stood up against their enemy, and they are free. They are free indeed. All because God's providence was at work throughout the story. So I said, we're going to come back and we're going to finish up next week. But every week in the series... Uh, hopefully we do this every week in whatever series we're in, we've taken the time to, to pull, what, are the, what is it we draw from Esther? What are the points of application? What, what's the takeaway? What is it that we can use today when we walk out of this? And I think that the Lord wants to teach us uh, the lesson of waiting, the value of waiting. Many of you right now might be in situations where you know it would be best to wait, but you're struggling. If I wait, what's going to happen? 
Does God have as good a plan as I do? And I want to say he has a better plan. But he wants you to wait so that it can be unveiled. So four things that we can learn, four takeaways. Number one, when preparing for an unprecedented event, wait on the Lord before getting involved. Wait on the Lord before getting involved. Esther waited before taking action. God was working while Esther was waiting. If you think about it, Esther had two previous opportunities when she went before the king to spill the beans on Haman, and she did it. She waited because God was working out his plan. God works in our circumstances when we're willing to wait. When we're willing to wait, God works. Here's the second thing. When dealing with an unpredictable person, trust the Lord to open doors and open hearts. Think about it. Against all odds. We looked at five reasons why it was so perilous for her. Against all of the odds, uh, Esther, because she waited, because she allowed this purposeful space, because I believe all of the things that Isaiah talks about were happening in her, uh, she found favor when she went before the king. She found favor in coming against the villain Haman. And we too often have challenging people in our lives. We have the Hamans in our life. And if we will trust God to work in that situation while we pull back, he'll work it out. Listen to this verse from Proverbs 21.1. It says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Um, your Haman's heart is like a channel of water in the king's hand. He can turn it wherever he wishes. He can change the hardest of heart. He can take the most difficult person and suddenly uh, work it out in your favor. We, we have to trust that. Um, finally, when standing against an, an, an unprincipled enemy, ask the Lord for invincible courage. Again, Esther had other opportunities. She could have, as soon as she was in the presence of the king, just started vomiting out that Haman and he's going to, and I knew we're going to die. But she didn't. She waited. And perhaps what was happening is that the Lord was building up her courage to recognize, you got this, Esther. You can do it. One more banquet. Then you can tell. So there was a strengthening that was happening in her. Um, We encounter situations where timing is very important. Um, Oftentimes those situations arise in marriage, right? Uh, Where something occurs in our marriage, for those who are married, and we just want to kind of... Does that ever work really well? Yeah, how's how's that working out for you? Um, I just want to share something that my wife has built into our marriage. And she actually pulled it some years ago from the story of Esther. And it's the, it's the three-day theory. I started to say the Cami three-day theory, but it's Esther's three-day theory. Um, there are times, I'm sure there are multiple times, in our marriage where something has occurred that I've done or said that just does something to and in her. And she's learned that she does not immediately say anything about it. But instead, following the principle of Esther... She pulls back, she builds a purposeful space, and she waits three days. 
And this is the honest truth. She waits three days, and what she would say is in that three days, uh, it might be that the Lord would show her something about herself. Or it might be that the Lord would give her greater perspective on the situation to have wisdom to know how to handle it the right way. And also she says that sometimes at the end of three days, it's not bothering me anymore. So I don't need to say anything. And so I'm sure that in our marriage um, there have been hopefully many times where at the end of three days she didn't have to say anything so I didn't know about it. But sometimes this is what happens. I would hear her say, um, could we talk? And when I hear her say that, I can maybe know that she's been in a three-day period. But what I also know is when she sits down and she talks to me, it's going to be very loving. It's going to be very um, uh, censored by the Lord, and then we're able to work it out instead of me becoming defensive. And so I would say whether it's in marriage or whatever, whatever challenging situation or relationship you find yourself in if we could learn to practice this three-day principle and that how much trouble would we save listen as we wait when we trust the lord during our challenging situations and while we're dealing with difficult people we can and will increase our courage we will uh, learn the value of waiting god's perspective and we'll see god help us work walk through these situations in a much more effective way because we're allowing God to, to nurture us in the situation. That's where the growth comes from. That's where the spiritual formation is. Um, as I'm closing this morning, I'd just like to, uh, you know, I've asked a lot of questions, but um, maybe I'll just make a statement is that I'm sure that uh, all of us have, will, are, or will be in these challenging situations. Um, are you willing in these situations to do it a different way? Are you willing to build in some purposeful space, some margin, so that God can work in you before you actually dig in and deal with the situation? God's not absent when you do that. He's actually working. Uh, are, we allow, are we willing to allow him to work while we wait? Or do we feel like we have to interrupt his plan? Would you bow your heads? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word and the example that we have. And particularly particularly right now, we say thank you for the story of Esther. And thank you that we uh, can learn the value of waiting. I ask God that you would build in us a, um, a greater understanding that we could gain your perspective, your value of what it means to wait, of what it means to build purposeful, purposeful space in our lives so that you can work out your plan without interruption for us. So, Father God, we submit ourselves to you and we ask that you would help bring about this change in us by your Spirit. So we commit ourselves to the process and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, Visit us at gracecovenant.org.